Very few initiatives fail because of a lack of aptitude, but rather because the people involved aren't mobilized to succeed. That's the philosophy of leadership of Robert Greiner, the vice president of Paraveta Solutions, a technology firm that asks the question, can they be successful by developing their people? And the answer since 2003 has been absolutely yes. He joined me this week to talk about STEM careers, the importance of leadership and leaving a solid foundation for the next generation. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. Robert, if you're ready, we'll welcome you to the program, and we're excited to learn all about your business technology and professional experience. Thanks so much for being here, and so great to see you today. Yeah, great to see you. Thank you so much. So I know that you uh, believe strongly, Robert, in the human-centric approach. So I'll start you off by asking uh, why uh, you think adopting that philosophy is so very important. Yeah, well, I, first of all, it's, um, you know, we see all the time uh, teams that fail at solving solved problems, right? So uh, in the business world, this happens every single day where you, you have a relatively known implementation, right? So if, if you're building like a payroll system, there are other payroll systems that already exist. The design patterns are well known you know, you're, you're not sending people to Mars, right? You're not trying to figure something out that hasn't been solved before. And yet these teams of, of highly capable, well-paid individuals can't seem to get the product over the finish line. And in my experience, I've, I've really never been on a team that failed because of the, indivi- the individuals weren't smart enough or competent enough or worked hard enough. It was the team dynamics that did not allow the whole to be greater than the sum of its parts. And ultimately that's where dysfunction creeps in and things fall apart. Um, and, and, oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna ask you, what do you think is the key to building effective teams? Uh, so, so definitely starts at the individual level. So one of my favorite books is by Patrick Lencioni. He writes The Ideal Team Player uh, and it, he, he actually writes a lot of uh, what you would call business fables. So they're, they're fiction stories, fictional stories that are rooted in core uh, leadership, business, team-centered concepts that are born out of his experience in this space. So very approachable read, short read, and they outline uh, fundamental truths around uh, 
meetings, teamwork, leadership, careers, that kind of thing. And uh, what Lencioni says, and, and what I, I, I fully agree with is teams, teams are made and broken by the fundamental building blocks, which are the individuals on those teams. And so in his book, The Ideal Team Player, he talks about three behaviors that really outline uh, exceptional team players, humble, hungry, and smart. So humble, thinking of the, putting the team before yourself, don't spike the ball when you win, uh, hungry, always in pursuit of more, uh, shouldering more than your fair share of the load without complaint, which I really love that concept. Uh, and smart is actually people smart, thank goodness, not uh, intelligent smarts. And it's really the ability to, to play nice with other humans. And when you put those three things together, you, you create an ideal team player. And when you have a team filled with ideal team players, they're able to succeed more uh, rapidly and, and, and go further with what the resources that they have. Uh, because everybody, there's, the trust is there and everybody's moving in the right direction together. Um, and so you, you see this play out in sports all the time, right? The underdog comes up and wins. Uh, but also, if you just think about this analogy of you have people trying to pull a heavy, a heavy object up a hill, if every human is pulling in the same direction at the same time, uh, you're, you're going to get the, the most optimal force and movement forward. But if you have some people who are holding onto the rope, but they're not pulling it, well, that's going to diminish the effectiveness of the team uh, by a lot, right? These things kind of creep in because you're, you're wearing out the people doing the work faster. And then in the business world and in sports and in every other area of life, you actually have people who drug their rope to the other side and they're trying to pull the boulder back down, right? And, and so that just really over time in a war of attrition just crushes a team and ultimately that dysfunction and failure creep right in. Well, I know that you're a Cowboys fan, so we'll try to get the Cowboys defense to pull on that same rope going yes. in the same direction, huh? Oh, gosh, yes, please. Because <laughs> uh, uh, they should be undefeated if they had a defense worth anything, but that's uh, another story for another day, Robert. That's so, exactly right. <laughs> I'll leave it there, but uh, I know that you're all uh, also uh, – uh, concerned about leaving uh, a, a solid foundation for the next generation because I know that you have children where you're looking at today's world and wanting to leave a solid foundation for the next generation. So can you tell me about that? Yeah, you know, th this is a relatively new uh, point of view for me. So, and, and we'll, we'll probably talk more about this later, but I, I grew up a very traditional software developer and I viewed my uh, profession as, as a core component of my identity. I really identified with the idea that I'm a software craftsman. I build quality software systems. I've written code that you've used, right? Like it's, it's been so, over, over a 15 year career, you know, it, it, you, you kind of build all these uh, components and, and pieces of functionality that uh, are, improving the lives of everyone around you. And, and at some point, at least for me, and I thought I would do this for the rest of my life, right? I was very, very content writing code all day until I wasn't. <laughs> and uh, it turns out that that's not as interesting to me anymore. Uh, it's still cool. 
it's still really cool to work on really large software systems, but that that doesn't fulfill me like it like it did in the past. And and part of it was you know growing into a more of a leadership position and taking on some of those responsibilities. But the thing that really tipped the scales for me, and, and I have two kids, so my daughter Amelia is seven, my son Noah is almost four, and uh, just you know real quick, my my daughter doesn't like to commit to any one thing. So when you ask her what, what she wants to be when she grows up, it used to be a doctor, which was great. Uh, and then it was an astronaut, which is awesome. Uh, and, and now she wants to be a doctor and an astronaut, right? Another day she'll want to be a fashion designer or a teacher or whatever. And, and we're very, it's like, hey, yeah, go try to do all of those things. That, that's awesome. And, and in a world where like my daughter wants to be a doctor and an astronaut, like and if you start to think about the timing, she could be the first chief medical officer of the Mars transport, right? Like that's, that's really cool. And, uh, and you really, you want for your kids more than, than what you had growing up. And, and so I'm, I'm sitting at work one day and um, uh, this young, I mean, kid to me, now it just seems so funny to say kid, but uh, young professional walks past me and I turn to my, colleague because she had like a, a a backpack with our logo on it and I was like well who is that and he's like well that's Kate she's new on this team and I was thinking oh I don't know Kate so went introduced myself and uh you know she went to Notre Dame at this point in her life she was infinitely more put together uh than than I was at her age and the more we talked it, it kind of hit me I was like oh you know what if I do the math right in about 20 years, you will be at the peak of your career. I didn't say this, I just thought it. Like Kate will be at the peak of her career in like 20 years. And my kids will be entering the workforce around that time. And so I actually have an opportunity to uh, provide an example for the next generation of leadership that will impact my kids when they join the workforce. And I think, well, that's pretty cool. Like that's a much more interesting long-term legacy focused uh area to to really push on uh like a lifelong journey than just writing and rewriting software systems uh, and so that's really what i'm interested in now and so if you pair that idea of shaping and molding and providing an example for the next generation of leadership and this human centric component, which I'm so interested in, there's a lot of overlap there that, and, and, and frankly, in the professional world and probably everywhere else, we do that horribly, right? You know, succession planning, training, growing the next wave of leadership, being team oriented. We're so bad at that, that I think it, there's a lot of low hanging fruit to, to pick up there for sure. And I know that you have about uh, 14 years of leadership uh, experience in the IT and technology space. And uh, this morning, I'll share a quick story. I uh, did a presentation for a group of college kids about the importance of diversity and inclusion of individuals with disabilities. So my next question has to do with uh, diversity and how do you think uh, we can get more women specifically in the field of IT and software development uh, because I think there's a real opportunity for expansion there so I'm just wondering your thoughts on the subject as well. Oh yeah uh, th this is huge and and I think especially in software 
and well, really all engineering fields, but I'm, I, I can really only speak from a software expertise. You are building uh, functionality. You're building software for the world. And so if you have a team that's very narrow-minded in their experience and uh, everyone on the team is the same, you're going to build features that like in, inherently that cater to, to that group, to your group. And, and so you could, you're just missing out on the, the perspective and the needs of a, a wide swath of, of people out in the world. So you know, I, I very much view software and technology improves people's lives. It uh, creates tremendous opportunity for, and, and it's very, uh, uh, like it's very much a meritocracy, right? Like, you know what good software is, you can measure it. So it's, it's such a, like a, a great space and we're missing out on a tremendous amount of uh, diversity of thought, ideas, upbringing, uh, uh, race, gender, all of those things. And, and so in my mind, you really have to, and you really have to go back to and focus on kids and keep, make and keep kids interested in STEM. And the more you, you have to like basically increase the size of the funnel the education funnel that kids go into, and then a lot more of them will come through with the skills and aptitude and therefore interests that they need to be productive in a STEM field. And so, I, and I think that's actually something that you could, you could do at scale, especially the way technology is right now, is never a better time to learn how to write software, to learn how to uh, advance math concepts. You could almost get an entire Ivy League education for free uh, there's all these coding boot camps that have come up that help that only get paid if you get a job. And so there, there's a lot of uh, confluence around technology and, and making uh, democratizing the availability of, of education and skill sets for people to opt into. I really just think that we are um, as, I don't know if society is the right word, but co collectively we don't encourage kids, especially young girls to stay interested in STEM from a young age. And that frightens me because I just mentioned my daughter wants to be an astronaut and a doctor. Uh, and I would uh, very much like the world to not beat that out of her right before she gets to make up her own mind about what she wants to do. Yeah, exploration is the key to independence, isn't it? That's exactly right. So I'm also curious to know uh, your thoughts on throughout the course of your career, what are some principles in leadership you think that we can all use to become effective leaders? If you had to give me uh, the top three principles of being an effective leader and leading effective teams, what would you tell me? Yeah, so, and, and actually the, these would apply to anybody, uh, but, but certainly leaders. So. Uh, there is this idea of, um, so I'll give you the three up front. Deliver results, build relationships, and know how you're wired, okay? So when you deliver results, if you're an individual contributor, that's fairly straightforward. You have responsibilities. You just get those things done. Um, next is building relationships. So be easy to work with. Know how other people are wired. Know their communication preferences and really do your best, give the benefit of the doubt, assume positive intent, and put some intentionality around building solid professional and personal relationships. 
because as you grow your career, you will not be able to achieve results without the coordinated effort of others. You need relationships. I can't do anything on my own anymore. I, it, and to get something done to achieve an outcome requires a concerted effort of a team. And if I'm a jerk and I drive everyone really hard and I'm not very nice and I make it clear that I don't care about anyone on the team, that I only care about myself, I may win once or twice, but over the course of a multi-decade career, you're going to make it really hard to, for people to want to work with you. And that will ultimately undermine your ability to get results. And so I think really on that results idea, you know, have your personal productivity system, manage the urgent and important, build those relationships around you like we talked about, and then knowing how you're wired. This, okay, so I mentioned before, I'm a software engineer by trade. I spent the first eight years of my career thinking, convinced that I was introverted and detail-oriented because aren't all software engineers, aren't all programmers introverted and detail-oriented? And it wasn't until I joined the current firm that I'm at that, and we took a personality assessment, I realized that I'm actually quite extroverted and I don't like details at all. And, and not knowing how I was wired the first eight years of my career manifested in tension that I felt, but I could not name. I didn't know what that was like. And also my wife is introverted and detail-oriented. And so it's really helpful to know that one, I'm not, and two, that she is. And so when we're having a disagreement or something like that, uh, I can have some empathy for, for her situation and I can understand, oh, I'm feeling this way because I'm really assertive or because I'm being asked to go into the details and I really don't want to. And so if you know how you're wired, just take one or two or all of those personality tests. They're all based on the same kind of science. It's just a different lens and they're metaphors. They're not perfect, but it gives you a vocabulary. It gives you an idea to frame uh, how to what your behaviors are like, what your tendencies are like, and how other people are wired. And that really helps put some grease in the gears of uh, both business and professional life. Now, uh, from a domestic st standpoint, I know you have daughters and your marriage. I I'm wondering if I could uh, get you to take off your professional cap just for a sec second. And I'm curious to know, what do you think is the key to a surviving both parenting and marriage during the time of COVID? Well, yeah, <laughs> I may not be the one, the right one to ask there. We are, uh, it, it has absolutely been an adjustment, especially when you throw being a full-time homeschooler in the mix. Uh, there's just a lot more, there's more than uh, two people's worth of work to do around. You have household. a new respect for teachers, I'm sure. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's crazy. Like they it definitely new respect for teachers. <laughs> and so I, I really think if, if you go back to the idea of a team, you know, that I, I have a team, there's four of us, me, my wife, my daughter, my son. And uh, you really, I think empathy and forgiveness and giving the benefit of the doubt, assuming positive intent and, and talking things through open communication are, are critical and that's not you could probably actually hear them in the background now uh and and one of them may may run in and interrupt us here in a minute so uh it's kind of funny when i'm on you know uh conference calls and my son runs in and 
with a superhero mask and cape on and punches me or something. <laughs> it, it makes it more authentic, doesn't it? Well, yeah. Uh, it, and so I, I think there's also this aspect of you cannot expect 2020 to be your best year. This is a year of surviving and then thriving later. And so you have to try to get through uh, this time as best you can and then slowly start to to bring those, maybe you could call them luxuries or benefits back into life. But uh, I, I really think though, it, it, it centers around, again, the team, the humans in the room, giving space, giving empathy, uh, talking about what's bothering you. And uh, ultimately the same kind of stuff that uh, everyone is suggesting, or everyone has suggested since the beginning of time, it's just much more important right now uh, when you're at home I'm, I'm, I'm inside all the time, right? We interact pretty regularly with my wife's parents. Uh, and so we are not taking any kind of risks right now. And uh, that, can, that can wear on you for sure. And, uh, and so you definitely work on, invest in your relationship. It's like a gardening every single day uh, and you'll be in a much better spot, I think. Yeah, we all have to make sure that the walls don't cave in, that's for sure. Um, and I, I, I'm also curious to know, I know that you have uh, some expertise in uh, financial independence as well. So I'm wondering, especially during this time, we talked about personal uh, productivity early, earlier. How do you think that applies to uh, financial independence? Well, yeah, so there's, there's a couple of ideas around that. One is uh, just like your trusted system, just like your task list, just like a major project, finance is, is one of those things. It's a, it's a learnable area. And what I found through making mistakes is you can't abdicate that the responsibility of your finances or your retirement to anyone else, right? You have to be the one to, to take ownership of that because, uh, you know, financial advisors, investment advisors, they get paid whether you make money or not, right? And so it, it's kind of up to you. Uh, and so if you take this idea of uh, financial independence and you say, okay, what, what I really wanna do is um, get to the point where I am saving or, or spending less every month than I make. So you have some surplus. And for me personally, that didn't happen until much later in my career, when my wife and I got married, we were both getting our master's degrees. We were funding those. Um, we had a little bit of debt coming into the marriage. Uh, we had a, a, what you would call a negative savings rate. So we were spending more every year than we were making. Uh, and the, the best thing you can do wherever you're at right now is, uh, and to plug one of your prior episodes, you, you, just, you actually just talked about this, uh, this idea. I think you just published a, a financial independence episode recently, but understand what you are, uh, what you're spending every month. And that's like your true expenses. So as an example, auto insurance, you may pay that once a year. That has a monthly expense, just divide that by 12. Really know what your, your full expenses are every month. And it may take four, eight, 12 months to sort of wrangle that idea because you, you get these one-off expenses you forgot about or whatever. And and you just add that in. And so when you find out how much you're making every month and you know how much you're spending every month and you know what that difference is, positive or negative. And then over time, the, the, the best thing to do if you have time 
is to just bank your promotions. It's very hard to cut, especially if you have kids barely making ends meet, those kind of things. Like when we first got married, there wasn't much to cut, right? We, there was not a lot of luxuries uh, in our lives. And so over time though, if you weave in this idea of relationships and productivity and, and, and getting better at your craft, more money will, will come. When you, make, when you make more money, try not to increase your lifestyle. Bank as much of those promotions, as much of those bonuses as you can, because you're not going to feel it. You're already used to the, the level that you're making now. Uh, and then over time, you'll have a really healthy savings rate. And then it's just a matter of uh, rinsing and repeating until it's time to retire. And, oh. and I... No, I was just going to say we should uh, give some of those philosophies to uh, professional athletes. Also, that they, when their playing career, careers are over, they have money in the bank. Well, yeah, Mark Cuban's in the news, right? He, uh, I can't remember his name now, but there was a former Mavs player that was uh, basically, I think, begging for money at a gas station. And I think he made $16 million or something over the course of his career. Yeah. Uh, and that it's like, that's more than I'll ever make in my career. Uh, but it, it's easy come easy go. And if you're, if, if, if we're not, and again, this goes back to the kids idea we talked about earlier. These are fundamental skills that, that we should definitely be teaching early on uh, so that you don't have to figure it out the hard way. Like I, I was 28, 29 before, I started getting into personal finance. And so I made all sorts of mistakes before then. Uh, I just maybe had, luckily had fewer zeros at the end of those mistakes. Uh, but yeah, I could, I, I could have just as easily racked up hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars of debt doing dumb things because I didn't know any better. Yeah, my final question for you is, uh, when you look back on your life career and the impact you've made, on the world, what do you hope your legacy that you pass down to your kids is, and what do you hope hope your legacy is over overall? Yeah, that that's a really tough question. I, um, so Dave Ramsey, while we're on the the personal finance plug, he he talks a lot about changing your family tree, um, and so I think if if I could pick one area, it would be that my kids uh, are like grow up in a, in a very uh, healthy environment and they're given all the opportunities they could ever want. And they make the most of those opportunities. And, and we raise, my wife and I raised two uh, productive, healthy adults a and, and that we have a, a wonderful relationship in, until the day that I die. I would, I would love that. Right. Um, at, uh, from a pro professional standpoint, and this changes over time, which, which I think is, is totally fine, uh, I want to have a positive impact on, on the people that work with me. I've had some really crappy bosses in the past, and you know, the, I heard that the, the, the number one person on the planet who has the most power or sway over your happiness day to day is like your supervisor, uh, which is kind of funny. And I want the people that work with me to have a positive experience, to feel cared for. Uh, and, and if I can make, help them be better in any one area, 
just a little bit, steepen their growth curve just a little bit. And that plays out over 10, 15, 20 years. And I do that a hundred times over the course of my career. That's quite the ripple effect. Um, and like I said earlier, I'm, I'm a huge believer in uh, that what you do, the decisions and choices you make as, as an individual, right? I, there's a lot of uncertainty and chaos in the world right now. I couldn't hope to address. I don't have the, the platform or the skills uh, to work on that, but I, I, can, I know I can try to score an A plus on the things that I can control. And over time you get better and you can take on more. And if you have surplus, you can help out others. And so my goal is just to continue that uh, momentum uh, over the course of my career. Fantastic, Robert. I really enjoyed our uh, wide-ranging conversation this afternoon. I want to thank you for providing your in, insights on technology, a business, and uh, just living everyday life. Really enjoyed the conversation. And yeah. I want to thank you for uh, being here this afternoon. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm honored. I, I appreciate it. Fantastic, Robert. We're done.